All right, and as I said earlier, we're going to continue in our series through the book of Ezra. We're going to be in Ezra chapter 4 this morning. Just for a quick reminder, <coughs> excuse me, I would um, draw you back to a few weeks ago to where we learned from the Apostle Paul in the book of Timothy, or I think it was 2 Timothy chapter 2, I believe is where it was. He told us that the primary purpose for the Old Testament Scriptures in our life is that they rebuke us when we need to be rebuked. They give us correction as we look back and we see mistakes that they made, um, things that God has to correct them on. We look back and we find correction. We find training in righteousness and how to follow Christ in righteous living. And then we also learn how to um, find examples for what we should do, what we shouldn't do, the kind of faith we should have, the kind of um, obstacles we should look out for. And so we started this series out by giving you a good understanding of the fact that the Old Testament is very relevant for us today. Everybody still on board with that? So when we look at these scriptures, I want you to always look at them in light of one of those goals. Do we find examples to follow or to avoid in this text? Do we find um, some kind of rebuke for us in sin in this text? Do we find some type of correction that we need to be corrected in our own life by the example that they give? Do we find training for righteousness in this? Um, uh, 2 Timothy also tells us that it is also for us to be wise to put our faith in Jesus Christ is when we look back at it. We're supposed to be able to look back and see that, well, their sacrifices wasn't enough. So what's it going to take? It's going to take Jesus and what He's doing, the Messiah and what He's doing. Their temple wasn't enough. When, you, when we get done building this temple and you get to that point, you're going to be able to see that they look at it and they start crying. Half the congregation is praising God for it. The other half is weeping so loud because they look at the temple and they say, it's not even close to what the first temple was. But then even Solomon looked at the first temple and said, God, this place can't contain you. The heavens of heavens can't contain you. So the point being is that everywhere you look back and you see everything in the religious system that was being done, it was never enough. And that is supposed to make us wise to understand that there is no amount of works, there is no religious duty, there is nothing that you are able to do in and of yourself to be reconciled with God and to be able to dwell with God. Your only hope is that He does what you can't do. And so, when we look at these scriptures, that's the goal we're going to look at. In the books of Ezra and Nehemiah, if you have your hand out, you're going to be able to see that this is just another story of God's redemptive plan to be reconciled to man and to dwell with us on earth. As I told you last week, God has always planned to dwell with mankind on earth. The problem is, sin got in the way, right? Sin corrupted that dwelling. And as a result of that, now we have constantly been seeing God show us story after story, this is what I'm going to do to bring you back to me. And it has always been by faith and faith alone. Even the Old Testament in the book of Hosea tells us that the just have always lived by faith. Abraham was saved by the same faith that you and I are saved by. No matter what you look back in the Old Testament, you see that they were always looking toward, this is what God is going to do in fulfillment one day in the Messiah. And they put their faith and their trust in it, looking forward to it. The only difference in us today is we're looking back going, this is what He did. This is what He did. And now we're not having to continue with the sacrifices and with the priesthood in that context and the temple as far as a building goes. No, instead now we are the fulfillment of the temple by being one with Jesus Christ and in His body. Jesus is the temple and He is the place where God and man dwell together. He fulfills it. 
And now you and I get to look back at that, put our faith and trust in it, and enjoy all of its blessings today. When we look back in Ezra and Nehemiah, we see just a story that was pointing toward that. For instance, whenever we look back at Ezra, we see God calls His people out of slavery, just like He calls us out of the slavery of sin. He calls them out of slavery of Babylon and Assyria, and He calls them back to His kingdom, and He brings them back, and the first thing they do is they offer sacrifice, because we can't do anything without the sacrifice of Christ. And then they lay the foundation of the temple, and now we're on the part to where they're starting to build the temple. Now again, spiritually, that, or, or physically, that points toward what you and I are doing today. We have been called out of slavery. We are the people of God that have been called out, that He has rescued from the fire, if you will. We are the people that He has now brought into His kingdom in Jesus Christ. We are the people that are now trusting in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and offering the sacrifice of Jesus Christ to Him to be reconciled to Him. We are the people that are building the temple of God in Jesus Christ. And again, I showed you all this last week, so if you're lost on any of that, go find YouTube, find our Wells Baptist site, go back and look at last week's message. But the point is this. We've reached the point in Ezra to where the building has started. The sacrifice has been made. They have laid the foundation. And now they are ready to start building the building. But we're going to see that there is opposition that always comes when God is doing a work with His people. Opposition always comes. And we're going to see example after example in this that you and I are going to be able to apply to our life in today's spiritual temple building, if you will. And so let's take a look at verse 1 to see what I'm talking about. Ezra chapter 4 verse 1. Now when the adversaries of Judah and Benjamin heard that the returned exiles were building a temple to the Lord, the God of Israel, they approached Zerubbabel and the heads of the fathers' houses and said to them, Let us build with you, for we worship your God as you do, and we have been sacrificing to Him ever since the days of Eshardon, the king of Assyria, who brought us here. Now, it would be very important for you to pay attention to a key word right here. That key word in verse 1 is that these are not friends, they're who? Adversaries. Now again, if if the Word of God did not tell us that, we might would read this and think to ourselves, well, why didn't they let them come and build with them? I mean, these these are people that want to be part of the church, so open the doors and let them in, right? But the problem is this, they're not people that have been called out to follow the one true God. And instead what we see here is that they are actually adversaries to what God is doing with His people. Now let me show you uh, the first example is that there is a source to which this comes from. Now I am thankful for the Old Testament Scriptures because we get to see some behind the scenes things that you and I wouldn't know have happened if uh, God didn't give them to His Word. For instance, during this time, just as a spoiler, the temple work actually stops for about, I think, 15 to 18 years. The work comes to a complete halt. Nobody does anything with the work of God and instead they go back to their own houses and all they do is live for their own lives. They go out and work, they build their houses, they they do for themselves. And God has to send Haggai and Zechariah to preach to them during this time. So if you want to see where the prophets Haggai and Zechariah fit into the Bible, right here. Ezra chapter 4 is where it starts. God has to send send Haggai and Zechariah to preach to them. Now let me explain to you what's happening here. Go with me to Zechariah chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. Look at this right here. 
Now remember, this is happening right now. This is why the work begins to stop and God has to send Zechariah in to preach to his people to get the work back going again. It says, Then he showed me, and this is Zechariah, so God showed Zechariah something. He showed me Joshua, the high priest. Now this was the one working alongside of Zerubbabel. And the high priest's job was to be doing the sacrificial work so that the people of God could stay in reconciliation with him. Alright? But he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord. And notice what we see behind the scenes. And Satan was standing at his right hand, talking about Joshua's right hand, the high priest, and he was doing what to him? Accusing. Remember, God is taking man and he is going to forgive man of his sins by faith and he is going to dwell with them. Satan cannot stand it. Why? Because he hates God. And he hates you. And he is your adversary. He says here, And the Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, O Satan. And here's what he says. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. In other words, Satan has just stood there and told God, This place is not worthy of you. And when you look at Jerusalem in this time, do you want to know something? He's right. You know why? Because it's been completely destroyed by Babylon. It's an ash heap. Is what it is. And so here we have Satan looking around going, you're going to choose to set your name in this place? Look at it. And God says, the Lord rebuke you, Satan, because the Lord has chosen Jerusalem. The Lord has said, this is where I want to set my name. This is where I want to dwell with people at here on this earth. And then he says... And the Lord has chosen Jerusalem, so rebuke you. Is not this a brand plucked from the fire? In other words, yes, it should have been destroyed, but God chose to look down on it and pluck it out of the fire and save it. And is that not yours and mine's story today? I should have been destroyed. Yet God looked down and He chose to pull me out of this destruction. But then it says, Now Joshua was standing before the angel clothed in what? So now Satan's going to take his focus off the place and he's going to look at the people. And he says, And the angel said to those who were standing before him, Remove the filthy garments from him. Why do you say that? Because remember, what's Satan doing? Satan's sitting back here accusing him. What do you think Satan's saying about Joshua right now? Look at this man. You're going to use this man to serve you? You want to dwell with these kind of people right here? And then the angel steps up and says, Hey, take those filthy clothes off him and let me clothe him with good clothes. And it says, And he said to him, Behold, I have taken away your iniquity from you, and I will clothe you with pure vestments. Now again, it's a beautiful picture, y'all. Because this is something that we're seeing take place in the heavenly realm, okay? And here God is saying, I have washed him, I have made him clean, I have clothed him with pure garments. And I said... Let them put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him with garments and the angel of the Lord was standing by. And then it says, And the angel of the Lord solemnly assured Joshua. This is so important. Because remember, when Joshua is building this temple, do you not think there were moments in time where Joshua thought to himself, because he's probably hearing the accusations of Satan too. Don't you hear them in your head? You're not good enough for this. Why would God use you? Who are you to be doing this and to serve the Almighty God? Why would God ever choose to save somebody like you? And yet the Lord solemnly assures Joshua when it says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, If you will walk in my ways and keep my charge, then you shall rule my house and have charge of my courts, and I will give you, look at this right here, I love this, I will give you. Now remember, Joshua's the high priest, so what's he pointing toward? 
Jesus, right? Our great high priest. Joshua is not the fulfillment of it. Joshua is just like the temple wasn't the fulfillment of what Jesus was going to do for us. Joshua is a cursed image of it. But God washes him and cleanses him and makes him, makes him whole. And he says here, And I will give you the right of access. I will give you the right of access among those who are standing here. Again, the picture of Jesus. Hear now, O Joshua the high priest, you and your friends who sit before you, for they are men who are a what? A sign. You're just a sign of what I'm going to do when this right here comes. Behold, I will bring my servant the branch. Now if you were in our study with Isaiah, you know what this means. Remember he said that he was going to cut Israel down to a stump. You remember that? And it was just going to be a stump of David, a stump of Jesse, David's father, left. But out of that stump was going to come forth a shoot. You remember that? And you've got this little bitty branch that comes forth. And that branch is the Messiah. And this is what he's talking about here. When he, so here's this picture that's going on in the heavenly realm. Satan is up there accusing them of the work that they're doing. They do not deserve to do the work. They do not deserve for you to dwell with them. You should not forgive them. The only reason they follow you is because you give them this and you do this. You remember the whole story of Job? God said, have you tried my servant Job? Oh yeah, I've been watching him. And you know, really the only reason he loves you, the only reason he follows you, is just because you've blessed him the way that you have. But you take away from him. He won't keep following you. He'll curse you to your face. And you know that Job passed every test. Matter of fact, Job passed the test even to the point that Satan left the picture after the third chapter. There's 40, 42 chapters, I think, in Job. Satan's only in three of them. God let the trial continue in Job's life even after Satan was done accusing him because God used that trial as an opportunity to bring something to the surface that Job didn't even know was there. And it was a pride that Job had about himself. And by the time that thing was over with, Job had been made holy by the trial that God had allowed to take place in his life. But still, the point of the matter is this. We have an adversary. And this adversary is always trying to shut down your faith in God and shut down your work that you are doing for God. Uh, but here's the good news. Look at Revelation chapter 12, verse 10 through 11 with me. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of His Christ have come. Why? Because the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down. And He accuses them how often? Day and night before our God. Right now, if you are trying to follow the Lord by faith, you have an accuser, an adversary that is standing before the Lord and he is accusing you saying the only reason they follow you is just because you bless them, just because they're hoping they get something out of you. They don't really love you. You do this and you do this and they'll curse you to your face. Or he's standing up there saying they don't deserve this. Look at the way they've lived and look at what they've done and look at who they've been and look at how filthy they are standing there. But the good news is this. These accusations we conquer by what? In reality, as far as we in and of ourselves go, are you filthy this morning? You better believe it. And so, in part, if it were in and of myself, Satan would be absolutely right with that accusation. But the good news is this. All I can do is plead the blood of Jesus. And when I do that by faith, the Bible says we conquer every accusation that your adversary brings against you. And he says we conquer him by the blood of the Lamb... 
And then by the word of their testimony, because again, this is our faith in the blood of the Lamb. It's not just that the blood of the Lamb is automatically applied to every human being. No. You have to put your faith in the blood of the Lamb to cleanse you and cover your sins. And the word of your testimony conquers the accusations of Satan. And the way that you know your testimony is true is that you don't love your lives even unto the death. In other words, you don't just hold on to trying to build your own kingdom and trying to live your own life and continue in rebellion throughout the rest of your days. But instead you lose this life for the sake of loving and honoring Him. Loving and honoring and worshiping Him and repenting of sin and coming out of rebellion and following Him. And when we do those things, the Bible says that Satan's accusations are all overthrown and they cannot stand a chance against any of us. But then, last scripture I want to show you. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11. Because as we look at this, I'm thankful that we know what Satan's strategies are. I'm thankful that when I hear this voice in my head that reminds me that you are, you are a terrible sinner. You do not deserve to serve the Lord. You do not deserve to be saved. You, you do not deserve to be in this inheritance and in this body. You do not deserve to be here. But I'm thankful that I'm not ignorant of his devices. Notice what it says here. And he's talking about the things written down in the Old Testament and in the Scriptures for us. He says that God, knowing Satan's devices, knowing Satan's schemes, knowing the designs that he does, he writes them down for us so that you and I can see what goes on behind the scenes so that we would not be what? Outwitted by him. Because sometimes... The work will stop because you believe the accusation. That's important to understand that. Sometimes you will stop the work of God in your life. You ever quit praying because of your sin? Don't you think your sin is a good reason to pray? But yet, we quit praying because of our sin. You ever miss church? Because of your sin? Got anybody married here this morning? Y'all ever have any fights before church? Don't raise your hand. You sitting out in the car waiting on your wife and you're out there blowing the horn and she comes out. What? And then here we go. Right? I was at work this morning. That didn't happen. All right? But it has. <laughs> but then your sin gets the best of you and you just decide, well, you know what, I'm just going to stay home. Come on, somebody ought to say amen. Just going to stay home. There's so many times that the adversary gets in our head and he shuts the work down. And sometimes he's faithful at shutting it down for a long period of time. Yeah. But he says here that we have all of these examples when we go back in the Old Testament and we look at what Satan is doing so that we would not be outwitted by him. For we are not ignorant. What does it mean to be ignorant? Does it mean stupid? <laughs> don't mean stupid. What does it mean? I don't know it. So he gave us knowledge so that we would not be ignorant of Satan's designs. Do you know that his methods have not changed? He's still doing the same thing today that he did back then. And so it's important that we understand that the source of our opposition begins in the heavenly realm with the accusations that come against us. Now again, if all you did was to begin reading in Ezra chapter 4, you would automatically start with the people that are coming against them. And how many of you know that many times in our life we can put our focus on the wrong adversaries? Y'all tracking with me? There is a source from which they all come. And so we have to understand that Satan begins at the throne room of God accusing, how often was it? Day and night. 
Day and night. He does not stop. Now, praise be to God, when we read Revelations, there's going to be a day when He's thrown down. But that day's not yet. Right now, you and I still have an adversary, and he is still accusing us before God day and night, and he's getting in here too. And as a result of that, you need to make sure that you don't let him outwit you. And you need to make sure that you remember that just like Joshua the high priest, God said, Satan looked at him and said, Look at those filthy garments! Yep. Hey, angel, go take those garments off him, put some clean ones on him. And just like that, Joshua was clean. Did Joshua do anything? All he did was trust in the Lord. That was it. And you and I are the same way. Don't be outwitted by Satan. You do have an adversary and he is accusing you, but he is a liar and the truth is not in him. Number two, opposition comes from all types of people in the world. Now again, let's begin with the source. The source is Satan. But the Bible tells us that he is the spirit that is now at work in the signs of disobedience. The Bible tells us that He has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the glory of God in Christ Jesus. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6, I believe that is. The other one was Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 through 2. But still, the fact of the matter is this. Satan is at work in people around this world. Remember back uh, Ezra chapter 4, verse 1 and 2 again. It says, The adversaries of Judah and Benjamin heard that the returned exiles were building a temple to the Lord, the God of Israel. They approached Zerubbabel and the heads of the father's houses and said to them, Let us build with you, for we worship the God, your God as you do, and we have been sacrificing to him ever since the days of Eshardon, the king of Assyria, who brought us here. Now here's the point. When the king of Assyria would bring people into this land, they came in worshiping other gods. It wasn't that they were unbelievers, but they did not worship the one true God. They were one of those that thought, there are many paths to God. They're one of those that thought, we can live however we want to. We can worship this one with sexual immorality. We can worship this one with sacrifice. We can can just be pleasing to all the gods, whichever one that you want to believe in. And I want you to know something. Satan's strategy hasn't changed much today. Today there are still people that will be mad at you and hate you if you don't allow them to come in and be part of the building process. But here's the problem. Look what Zerubbabel says to them in the next verse. Verse 3. But Zerubbabel and Joshua, pronounced Joshua here, and the rest of the heads of the fathers' houses in Israel said to them, You have nothing to do with us in building a house to our God. Our God. You don't serve the same God we serve. Now, is he being mean when he says this? He's being truthful, right? Listen, I'm not saying that we go out and we be mean to people, but I do want to tell you this. If we got a homosexual, and I'm I'm just saying that's today's topic, right? I could call out an adulterer. I could call out a thief. I could call out, you name it. So I'm just using that because that's sort of the topic of conversation today. But when you've got a person that is living in sin and rebellion to God and His ways, just like I used to be, somebody say amen. Amen. The only difference between me and them is I have been called out of that into His Son, Jesus Christ, right? That's the only difference. That is the only reason why I'm clean and they're not. Not because of me or anything I've done. But if you come in this building and you think that you want to help build this temple while you still continue in rebellion against the one true God, I'm sorry, but I'm going to lovingly look at you and say, you have no part in this place and what we're doing here. Now, does that mean that they can't? No. Now, this is where, if I may be bold enough and still humble enough to say, maybe Zerubbabel could have stopped here and said... Let me share with you what we're doing here. 
Let me share with you how we got here. Let me share with you how we used to be and what God did as a result of that. But God has rescued me and God has brought me back here to, to walk in His ways and to follow Him alone and to worship Him alone. Now, I could, I believe, humbly say that Zerubbabel probably could have stopped at this point and this has been a good place for the gospel to be shared. Zerubbabel wasn't perfect either. He wasn't the perfect representation of the, the King Jesus either, was he? No. But the point is this, here we have an example of Satan using adversaries in the world that will come against the church by trying to intertwine with them. We want to be in your midst and if you don't let us in, if you don't let a homosexual be your pastor, you're a bigot, you are a, a, a male chauvinist of some kind, you are a, I mean, you go down the line... It ain't got nothing to do with that. I was once sexually immoral in my life too. I sure was. Mine may not have went the same way yours did, praise God, but, <laughs> but I was still sexually immoral in the eyes of God. Can we agree on that? And so the only difference is God has called me out of that now and now the temple we're building is a place where He dwells with us by forgiving us of our rebellion, by calling us out of that rebellion and calling us into His Son to follow Him. And that's the temple we're building here. And so He tries to bring the world in to try to shut down the work that is being done and just plainly look at the example that these guys set. Just plainly, they looked at the adversaries and they said, I'm sorry, this is not a work that you can be joined in at this point in your life. It's just that simple. I'm sorry, but there is an in here and there is an out. And I know there's some people that don't like to hear that, but that's the truth. That's the truth. There is a people that are in the body of Christ and there are a people that are not. I'm not saying I'm better than them by no means. No, the Bible says very plainly, I once was just like them. Identical. But I have been washed by the blood of Jesus Christ. And now I am doing a work for Him that you and I can't do together because you don't walk the same path I walk. And that's the same design that Satan is still trying to use today. He is using all types of people in this world and trying to get us... And this is... Look with me at Matthew chapter 13, verse 24 through 30. I want to read through these quickly, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it. He put another parable before them saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. Y'all got the picture in your mind? Got a field. The man who planted it, planted all good seed. During the night, the enemy comes in and he scatters weeds, right? So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds also appeared. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? And he said to them, An enemy has done this. So the servant said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? But no, he said, Lest gathering up the weeds, you root up the wheat along with them. <clears throat> Excuse me. Let both grow together until the harvest, and at harvest time I will tell the reapers, Gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. And so, to explain this now, go down with me to um, Matthew chapter 13, verse 36 through 39. Then he left the crowds and went into the house, and his disciples came to him, saying, Explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. And he answered, The good ones, the one who sows the good seed is the Son of Man, Jesus. The field is the world. The good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of of the evil one. And the enemy who sowed them is who? The devil. So again, the source of all this is Satan. But he works in the hearts of unbelievers in this world to try to get in the midst of your work that you're doing from God because he wants to shut down what, he, what you're doing. If he can't shut you down with the accusations 
And you overcome Him by the blood of the Lamb, the word of your testimony, and by not loving your life unto death and you're serving the Lord. If He can't get you there, He'll start moving through lives around you. And He'll start putting people in your path that are not walking the same walk you walk, that want to join you and come along beside of you and be in the same field as you. And can I tell you something? The Bible tells us very plainly to come out from among them and be ye separate. Now again, I'm not saying that we're walking around there with our nose up in the air as if we are somebody special. No, I'm saying that we understand that we're not walking the same path. We're not. I can't yoke up with you because you go a different way. You serve a different God. I am walking this path. I love you. And I want you to be on the same path I am. But we're not. And as a result of that, I cannot be in agreement with you. So again, I'm not telling you to go out here as Christians and bash the world. No, we, we share the love of Christ with them. But I'm telling you, you don't walk in agreement with them in the things of the world. If your best friend is an unbeliever and that's who you yoke up with and that's who you walk with, there's a problem in your life. Because if you can walk in agreement with an unbeliever, then I'm going to tell you something about yourself. You're not walking with God. That's the truth. And so one of Satan's devices is he tries to yoke you up with people in this life that are not walking the same path you are. And again, that's a good opportunity to share the gospel. Another thing he does, another strategy, look at Ezra chapter 4 verse 6 here. And in the reign of Ahasuerus, in the beginning of his reign, they wrote an accusation against the inhabitants of Judah and Jerusalem. You can read that letter in the next verses, but here's the next thing they do. They, if they can't get you through accusation of Satan at the throne, if they can't get you through trying to plant weeds among the good, the good things, and they've done that with a lot of churches. Y'all understand that? There are a lot of so-called churches today that are just like the world. And they have shut down the work of God because of that. We're not ignorant of His devices. I see it. I see exactly what's happened. But if He can't get you there, He'll get the government involved. We're going to write a letter to the king. We're going to figure out a way to get the government involved so that the government will shut you down. Anybody remember that here lately? Some way or another... Satan has designs and devices of ways to try to shut down the work of God that you are called to do. And if you are not ignorant of his devices, and if you are aware of what he does, you will not be outwitted when that time comes in your life. Alright? Let me go to the next one. I need to speed this up. Opposition also comes from our own hearts. Look at um, Ezra chapter 4, verse 24 real quick. Ezra chapter 4, verse 24. I know I skipped over one, but you can go back and find that one. Ezra chapter 4, verse 24, look what he says. Then the work on the house of God that is in Jerusalem, what happened? Stopped, and it ceased until the second year of the reign of Darius king of Persia. Now go with me to chapter 5, verse 1 and 2. Now the prophets Haggai and Zechariah, the son of Ido, prophesied to the Jews who were in Jerusalem and Judah in the name of the God of Israel who was over them. And then notice what happened when they started prophesying to them in verse 2. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shetil, and Joshua, the son of Jezoadak, arose and began to rebuild the house of God that is in Jerusalem, and the prophets of God were with them, supporting them. Now picture this. The two heads of the church stopped the work. Why? Satan found a way. Satan found a way. And he stopped it for a while. And I want you to know from that, no one is exempt from being shut down from the work. Now if you want to see what happened, go with me to Haggai chapter 1 verse 1 through 4. Here's what happened. 
In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet to Zerubbabel, the son of Shittil, governor of Judah, and it came to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. And here's what the word of the Lord said to him. Thus says the Lord of hosts, These people say, The time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. In other words, Satan had already convinced them because the king shuts them down. The government shut them down. And they step up and they say, well, it must not be time. It must not be God's will. And notice what he says next. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. And look at this. Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses? <laughs> it ain't time to build God's house. So it's not time to build God's house. It's not time for you to build a place to dwell with Him, right? But is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses? You know what He means when He says that? You building your kingdom? You got no problem getting up and going to work every morning. You got no problem making your money so that you can have your cars and you can have your things. You got no problem building your house but the time ain't come to build mine. Is it time for you to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? That's a good question, right? And so here's the point. All it takes is an excuse in our own hearts to stop the work sometimes. If Satan can't find a way to accuse you before God so that he shuts you down that way, if he can't find a way to yoke you up and put people in your midst so that he mixes up, you, you're no longer walking in righteousness, but you've made agreements with sin and you've been okay with this and this. You're not coming out from among them and being separate, but you're all just building together. One happy little family. And let me tell you, he's done that in a lot of churches today. If he can't get you there, and he can't get you with the government he can't get you to shut down there, then he'll find some way to get you focused on your own stuff so that you say, well, you know what, I just don't have time for the things of God. I mean, my son is only little once. And guys, he's good at baseball. Come on, y'all, please. He's good. He's good. And I'm telling you, if he could get on a travel ball team, I know they play on Sunday. I know. But it's only for a little time. And so, if I can just focus on this for a little while. And can some of you sympathize in your hearts with me on that when I'm saying that? But can I tell you, all Satan has to do is give you a reason, give you an excuse to stop the work. And you will justify it in your heart and say, well, you know what, it just ain't time yet. There are other things that I need to do. I watch people that, I watch them, they'd be so involved in building the temple of God and they're doing the work of the church and they're coming together and they're really part of the body. And then the job says, well, you have to work this night or this day. And then maybe for a few weeks it is that way. But then all of a sudden they don't have to work anymore. But do you see them back at the church? Why? All we needed was an excuse, right? All I needed was an excuse. And when I stopped the work, I probably had good intentions and thought to myself, I'm just going to stop for just a minute, just a little bit. And the next thing you know, we're 18 years later. And we've got the only way the work gets started again, God has to send a Haggai. Or God has to send a Zechariah to show you what's actually happening behind the scenes. To show you what Satan is actually doing to you. You are being outwitted and you don't even see it. You got no desire to build the house of God and to build this dwelling. You know, that's another thing. The fact of the matter is, how many of us can look at our lives and say, I really am, I'm not just going to church. I really am here to learn so that I can build a dwelling so that God can be at home in. I'm trying to see what can I put off that don't belong. What do I need to come out 
from among them and quit doing, what do I need to begin to follow and start doing? Because I'm building a building. And there are many people today that are not even doing that. And the reason why you are so easy to quit the church and to quit the things the church are doing is because you're not building that building. Now again, I'm not trying to beat you up this morning. Can I tell you that there's nobody exempt if Zerubbabel and Joshua the high priest uh, fell for it? Do you not think I can fall for it too? You better believe I can fall for it. But the fact of the matter is this. I'm not ignorant of Satan's devices. I know how he works. And when I go back and I study stories like this, I'm thankful for them because I look at them and go, (laughs) I see you. I see you. I see what you're doing. But there is a work to be done. And God has called me to it. But I thank God that when he sends... He overcomes this opposition, every bit of it. He overcomes your accusations by His Word. He overcomes um, the, um, the, the wheat and the tares mixing together by His words. Can I just tell you something? If the majority of the Methodist faith would open up their Bible, if they would just open their Bible, You wouldn't have this mixing of wheat and tares going on. Can I tell you today, the Southern Baptists are beginning to, not that exact same trail, but they got some things that are going their way too. Can I tell you if they would just open the Word of God, the Word of God would show them exactly the path we are supposed to walk. And the problem is, we have begun to just want to do whatever's right in our own eyes and our own heart. And can I tell you, the Bible says that your heart is wicked and deceitful above all things. The Bible says, who can know it? Who can understand it? Don't you ever follow your heart. If your heart tells you to do something, you know what I want you to do? Just the opposite. Whatever it says. Look at Ezra chapter 6, verse 14 through 15. This is my last scripture. Ezra 6, verse 14 through 15. Look what happens through the preaching of God's Word. Now picture this in your mind. The work is going, but Satan has brought opposition and he has finally found a way to shut down the work. But then God, how does God fix it? How does God bring His people back? He sends a preacher. I'm not just telling you that because I'm a preacher this morning. I'm telling you that's what He does. He sends a preacher. He sends Haggai and he sends Zechariah. And notice what happens when they start listening to the word of the Lord. Verse 14 of chapter 6. And the elders of the Jews built and prospered through the prophesying of Haggai the prophet and Zechariah the son of Ido. They finished their building. Did you catch that? How did they prosper and how did they finish? They heard the word of God and they listened to it, and they obeyed it. You think what we're doing here this morning is not important? You're missing it. He says here, they finished their building by decree of the God of Israel, and by decree of Cyrus and Darius and Artaxerxes, king of Persia, and this house was finished on the third day of the month of Adar, in the sixth year of the reign of Darius the king. And then go with me to Haggai chapter 1, verse 12 through 15. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shetil, and the Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, what did they do? You want to know how the work keeps going? You want to know how the work gets finished? God preaches you His Word. You listen to it, and you obey it. And he says, they obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet as the Lord their God had sent him and the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai the messenger of the Lord spoke to the people with the Lord's message. And here is the message. I am with you. You've quit the work for 18 years. Can I get a witness somebody? You've quit the work for 18 years, but I am with you. 
declares the Lord. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shatil, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and they worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God. How did He stir them up? The Word of God. The preaching of the Word. i just end with this question right here. Are you building a house for you to dwell with God in, in the body of Christ? If you cannot see a battle going on in your life right now to where you're putting things off that God is not pleased with and you're putting things on that He desires for you to be, then can I tell you, you've quit the work or maybe you've never started the work. I don't know. That's between you and God. But I am telling you this morning that if you can't see the evidence of the work of God in your life, either you have never started it or you've let the devil outwit you and he has shut you down somehow. So my invitation to you this morning is this. If you are not actively building the temple of the Lord in your life, I would ask you this morning to examine yourself. Maybe it's the accusations that the Lord, that, that Satan has brought against you and you've believed them. And you've just quit everything. Praying, studying. You're not even that serious about church anymore. Maybe it's that He's yoked you up and you've mixed in with people that, that um, are not walking the same walk that you are and, and you have such a compassion for them and you just want them to be involved and you've not yet understand that God don't work that way. And you need to come out from among them and be you separate. And serve the Lord as you show them what that life looks like. Or maybe this morning he has, um, he has come in here and he has somehow tried to use the law or some way, the government, I don't know. Or maybe he has, he has come in this picture right here and, and he's used your own heart. He's used the things of this world to shut you down. I don't want you to hear me and walk out of there mad at me this morning. I can't believe that preacher would blah, blah, blah. You know who you ought to be mad at? You ought to be mad at your adversary. And you ought to be a little mad at yourself for being outwitted. And you ought to be able to ask yourself the same question that Haggai asked. Is it time for you to dwell in your kingdom, but it's not time for you to build the house of God for us to dwell together in? And that's only a question that you can answer. And I pray that you give the right answer. Y'all would stand this morning. Now is your time to respond. The Word of God has been spoken. <clears throat> Whatever you need to do to apply it to your life. Let me ask a question. Are there examples to follow in this or examples to avoid in this story? You better believe it. Are there, um, are there um, oppositions that you have fell victim to and that Satan has outwitted you that you need to repent from? Maybe. Whatever it is this morning, there is something for you to respond to in this Word. So if you need to do that this morning, now is your time as we come.